And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it. What you've seen throughout this crisis is that the, the union working together with the, 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 the money for supporting people through furlough, the, the army working on the, on the testing, moving people around. But now uh, what we want to do is build back better together. The reputation of the Scottish government tainted. The standing of this parliament diminished. A culture of secret and cover-up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's, uh, it's not mine, may, may I say, but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the political podcast from the Scotsman. Um, as always, Gina is with us, the deputy political editor at the Scotsman. Uh, Gina, how are you doing this morning? I'm very well, Connor. How are you? Not too bad at all. Ready and raring to go for the another week ahead. <laughs> penultimate week of the campaign. We hear from the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, Willie Rennie, who is delightfully joining us from the back of his car on the way up to uh, Caithness for some campaigning today. Um, we'll hear from him later, but I wanted to start off with um, what was probably one of the most striking front pages of uh, the pandemic, which is the Daily Mails this morning, and Boris Johnson saying, uh, or allegedly saying, that he would rather see the deaths pile up in their thousands than uh, order a third lockdown. Uh, Gina, from from your point of view, this is one hell of a allegation to be in the papers on the front page of a paper like the Daily Mail, you know, 10 days before an election. Absolutely. It is one of those, one of those stories, one of those headlines that does make you go, oof, you know, it's like, oh, it's just the worst thing that um, Johnson could, uh, could have asked for um, to, to be leaked. If it's true at all, of course, um, it is just an allegation at the minute. And, Unfortunately for him, I think it probably plays into a lot of people's uh, beliefs and feelings about him as their Prime Minister, somebody who's not particularly careful, careless even, you know, not cautious. And it feeds into that whole uh, comparison that has been going on since the start of this last March uh, in terms of how he's handled things compared to how Nicola Sturgeon's handled things and as you say you know obviously there's an election up here on May the 6th but there are also elections uh, down south and in Wales and how this will play there will be more important I think for the Conservatives than up here because I don't think um, despite how awful that statement is um, it will feed into things up here in the same way as, as it will elsewhere because people up here as we know already don't rate Boris Johnson very highly you know the approval ratings for him are rock bottom anyway so it's hard to see how he, he could fall any further I mean Douglas Ross must be appalled you know that this is happening now but I wonder if it will actually have any real impact on what's happening here more so down south I would say. I was going to say I mean it, by the the way that England polls and the and the Westminster in general polls have looked, the most likely result from this is probably Conservatives plus three, based on what's happened in 
<laughs> previous polling after something major. As you say, I think it's a stark reminder of the difference in communications because uh, there's no way that you can imagine Nicola Sturgeon even contemplating saying something like that around yeah. around AIDS, um, who might in the future put, want to want to leak it to the press. And that whole psychodrama with with Dominic Cummings is an unwanted distraction from what is probably the mo- the most hopeful part of lockdown that we've had for a long time. Uh, absolutely, you know everybody's uh, feeling good as things are finally starting to to ease and we can get out and about again, see family, go to the shops. My goodness, I'm so desperate just to go and browse <laughs> somewhere. You know, <laughs> timing couldn't be worse. I mean, the, the, but then you know, could there ever be any good timing for saying something like that? But I think it really does go to the heart of. Um, of Boris Johnson's government and the fact is you know it's a claim but people believe it and they believe it because you know he has said similarly stupid things in other areas you know um, I mean he's said things about devolution which uh, you know he's had to to backtrack on and uh, I mean actually it's countless things you know you could think of that Boris Johnson has said um, that he's then had to apologise for or not not actually apologise for if you look at what he says and I think he was told you know hiring somebody like Dominic Cummings would be uh, a problem for him you know there were a lot of people very unhappy with that appointment in the first place and now uh, those chickens are definitely coming home to roost for him so they will be very worried about Cummings appearance uh, in front of the select committee. I mean, today they have uh, Simon Cage, um, you know, the senior civil servant in the cabinet office, um, answering questions on all of this. You know, you just wonder what other bombshells Cummings has. I mean, he left. It's really interesting when he left um, Downing Street. He left with a box full of stuff, and I wonder. You know, you do wonder what was in there, uh, what was printed out <laughs> and mm-hmm. filed away before he he made that exit because he's not a stupid man and he will have, I would imagine, some kind of evidence to back up these claims. The Dom dossier, potentially, like the Pentagon Papers. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll move on to chat a little bit about the SNP, who I think also had a difficult weekend, especially following on from the comments from Emma Harper at the end of the week about jobs being created as a hard border between Scotland and England. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon was on um, Andrew Marr on Sunday and appeared to soften her stance a little bit on what this election means in terms of the independence movement. What What's your take on how the SNP are currently putting forward the case for independence um, and whether or not that's spooking some people? Yes, I'm, I do wonder if that's what's happening here. I mean, Emma Harper will now, I think, no longer be allowed to do any interviews <laughs> on her own. Um, the, the SNP must have been, you know, the party apparatchiks would have been furious about that, I think. The last thing they want to talk about is a border. Um, and it's always very interesting to hear Nicola Sturgeon say it's not the SNP or her party that wants there to be a border. Um, and yet it's the party that wants to, to break away and still be in the EU. So therefore, a border is you know the inevitable outcome of that. Um, and her uh, interview with Andrew Marr was, was fascinating. I mean, she was pressed you know, very hard on, on that particular subject and how it would work. And interestingly, fell back on the same kind of language that we heard from people like Michael Gove 
and uh, Daniel Hannan during the Brexit campaign, you know, around, oh, well, these things would be negotiated, the agreements would be reached, you know, but there's no, there's no real plan, there's no detail as to, you know, how, how it would operate, um, which is the sort of thing that does spook business in particular. And then, of course, she went on to say that actually asked if she was, uh, she thought if it was shameful that she had no new economic case or no answers to these questions ahead of this election. And she said, well, it would be if this was an election about independence, a choice on independence, but it's not. Now, that would have come as a big surprise to a lot of SNP members and supporters. But I do think that that's, um, that's indicative of, of the polls and where they are, where they are at the minute. Obviously, you know, the, the assumption is going by the, by the figures that the SNP will be in government, but they've gone from being potentially having a, a majority uh, and not having to rely on any kind of uh, backup or coalition or, or agreements with the Scottish Greens in particular to now uh, looking like they might fail to, to have any kind of majority and there will be a minority of government again. And, you know, you do begin to wonder if it is the independence question that is causing that, and that's why there's this slight change in, in tone. And it's interesting, of course, to remember that they they decided against putting, you know, vote SNP for Indiref 2 on the ballot papers, um, as if that was maybe, maybe, maybe too much for some people who are happy to vote for SNP, and they like Nicola Sturgeon, and they think that she's, you know, handled things well over the last year, but they're maybe not so keen on another independence referendum right now. The, the political language around the SNP, I think, is just is, is always interesting because it, it changes with the wind. That's evident in this campaign where they started out very bullish and then have have moved away from that language. Arguably, probably partly due to the fact that the independence case is now most closely linked to Alex Salmond after Nicola Sturgeon. Um, and we all know how popular he is in the polls. He's even less popular than Boris Johnson. Mm. Um, and that that that's potentially given them it, it it presented the election in the way that I'm pretty sure Nicola Sturgeon wouldn't have wanted it, which was, you know, this is an election about gaining independence, not just Indy Ref two, and the pandemic was put to the side for the first few weeks. I think they've there's been a bit of a course correction um in the last few uh days and, you know, la- certainly last week or so since the since the manifestos were all launched. We're going to hear from Willie Rennie very shortly, but Gina, how before we do, how do you place the Scottish Liberal Democrats in Scotland and Scottish politics at the minute? Are they on the on the way back up to a serious force that maybe they were ten years ago? I think the Liberal Democrats are in much the same, if maybe slightly worse position uh, than the Scottish Labour Party is. You know, they get squeezed. On everything, particularly um, the constitutional issue, which, as we know, is is completely binary. You know, I think they, like Labour, are pinning their hopes on this idea that people are more interested in the COVID recovery than they are in the independence debate at the minute, and that that might see them uh, gain a few votes here and there. Now, they might well. It's interesting um, when we speak to Willie; he's on his way up to Caithness. They might well. You know, achieve something up there because that is a traditional base for them. But I think they'll be they'll be struggling elsewhere. And if they hang on to this, you know, the MSPs that they have, 
And if they can increase that by one, then I think that will be seen to be a success uh, for the Liberal Democrats. But they, they do get kind of drowned out. And I think, you know, unfortunately for Willie Rennie, you've seen that um, even on the TV leaders debates. You know, he's he's it's very difficult for him to get a word in edgeways between the sparring that goes on uh, with Nicola Sturgeon and Douglas Ross in particular. We've also had a poll last week just to keep everyone up to date on where, where the polls stand. We had the SNP just missing out on a majority. And in fact, um, it, the, the, the poll from Savant, our friends at Savannah Comrades showed uh, the SNP on exactly the same number of seats as they had in 2016. They showed the Conservatives on one seat more than they had in 2016. Um, Labour, I think, were down one seat. Uh, the Greens were up two. And the Lib Dems were on exactly the same number of seats that they had um, from 2016, which clearly means everyone's perfectly happy with how everything is currently and the status quo can continue. Um, That's right. Which... The electorate's never been more content. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but it's it, it's fa- fascinating to see what the next 10 days are going to be. Often a lot of movement happens in this period of an election campaign. You know, one gaffe around the corner could spell the end for any one of the main major parties and it'll be a, a, a very interesting watch. Um but for now, uh, we'll hear from Woody Renning. So hello and welcome to the steamy, the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, Willie Rennie, um, who is currently in a car on the way up to the Highlands ahead of a day of campaigning. Willie, presumably the, the view is beautiful, but the weather perhaps not. Yeah, it's raining a bit, but the snow is still on the Cairngorms and uh, Aviemore and Newton Moore and all these towns and villages along the A9 are looking splendid. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to the campaigning up in the, the Highlands. Yeah. Fantastic to have you on, Willie. Um, you're our third party leader to come on the Steamy um, so far during this election campaign. So it's fantastic to have you. We'll start with a question that we've asked everyone else. How's the campaign going? It's one like no other. Yeah, it's a strange campaign. I've now got a beetroot head after having spent the weekend out knocking on doors in Fife and the response was good but I think every canvasser says that but genuinely there's a appreciation for the work that we've been doing locally but also the SNP vote is probably softer as we would call it than it's ever been and it's a mixture of different things of general disillusionment with the with the uh, SNP's performance in government um, but also the stuff about Alex Salmon this kind of tainted things but the most significant factor is that they're pushing an independence referendum in the wake of a pandemic. And that's changed the dynamic significantly. Um, and I think there's a, we're going to see a further decline in the SNP vote. So that, that's the first thing that's happened for a wee while. So um, it's, it's an interesting campaign. I was, get, I was going to ask, Willie, what, what, one of the things I found really interesting about, about the Lib Dems in general I think this probably holds true across the UK, but it's certainly true in Scotland, is that you guys have an extremely positive local game in a way that I think many parties struggle to to replicate. You you have a very clear strength in depth in terms of council and then, and then up to MSP and then up to MP level. How much is, of that yeah. is driving where you're looking to gain and where you're looking to hold, hold seats this election? Yeah, it does. I mean, we're trying to do two things in this campaign. One is build on that local strength where we are very, very relevant in certain constituencies across the country. Um, 
and therefore you know you get an extra bonus with that having done the legwork over the years, provided a good quality service, you know, and just being the main players in the local area. So that's that's one part of it. So there's a number of seats where we're hoping to to gain on those terms. But we're also trying to lift the national vote so we can gain regional seats because it's difficult to replicate that local effort across a massive region. So we're talking about having a very positive message across the country that lifts that regional votes so we can gain in places like the west of Scotland and south and you know, Glasgow and the likes where we need to make sure we um, we gain votes in every single community. So there's two things we're trying to do in this campaign organisationally but there's no doubt that our local game in certain constituencies is far better than anybody else's um, and it's just years of experience and practice you know, of building connections with people and winning over votes. Willie, can I ask, you're on your way to Caithness today. That's a seat that um, you're obviously very keen to, to win back. Are you really in with much of a chance looking at the polls? I mean, you know, everything's suggesting that you're just going to return five MSPs again this time. But believe me, Gina, this is a very, very long way. I'm not going to go this long way for nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, <laughs> genuinely, it's a... Uh, we won by 204 votes with Jamie Stone, what, just 18 months ago. Um, and actually, in fact, I went almost on exactly the same moment in that campaign up to the seat, and we could tell it was moving. Um, it's got, um, I've had reports back from the seat where they're telling us that um, there is no doubt there's, there's some people who don't traditionally support us that are backing us in order to make sure the SNP don't win. But there's also those SNP voters who are just disenchanted in the way that I was just explaining. Um, and so both, on both fronts, and we think we're in with a, a shout, and it is a long way, so it better be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a, a quite a strong candidate there, do you not? The young girl, I saw her on television last week, thought she was very good. Yeah, no, she's, she's Molly. Molly Nolan is very talented, intelligent, uh, local. Um, well-grounded, young, um, bit of the kind of, you might say a bit of the Charles Kennedy about her, just got the ability to reach into a younger audience, uh, probably the same age as when Charles was first elected, in fact. Um, so there's a there's a freshness about her. Um, and tying in with the local campaigns around, you know, the Case Nest Hospital, the maternity unit, um, and basically... You know, often that part of the north is forgotten by by the SNP and taken for granted. So we're tapping into all those moods, and uh, we think we're in the show. Where, where else do you think is realistic for you guys to either hold on to or gain? Presumably, you want to hold on to where you've got already. So the places, I mean, I think overall in the Highlands we're performing well because we are the main challengers for the SNP up here, um, and then. You know, you're looking at west of Scotland, south of Scotland regions, Glasgow, uh, and depending on where the polls go after that, you know, you're talking about second seats on the west of the east coast, which tend to be our more traditional areas of of strength. Um, you know, in central Scotland, so it's, it's the rest of it is the regions um, is where we're going, but we're doing particularly well in the Highlands, and um, where we've got a, you know a traditional voting base that's very high. Um, and we think all of that's going pretty well. We've 
we're fighting a different kind of campaign this time with targeting um, certain groups of voters that are more likely to vote for us. And it's the, probably the best funded campaign we've had for a while. So we're, we're, we're optimistic about making progress. What about the south of Scotland, Willie? Because that used to be a real stronghold for, well, for yeah. the Liberals and then the Liber- Liberal Democrats after that. I mean, have you given up down there? No, no, no far from it. Um, we, we've got, there's a lot of latent support down there, um, particularly in the borders itself, but also in the other regions as well. We, we used to have a very strong base in kind of Annandale, Dumfrieshire, that part. Um, and there's a lot of people who are still very sympathetic to us. So it's about getting the peach vote, you know, the second vote in those areas, the party vote. Um, and because it, I think it will be the Liberal Democrat seats that make a difference between us you know, winning and stopping the SNP and the Nationalists getting a majority. Because we want to say to people, if you want to put recovery first and get the parliament focused on it, the next five years, then you need to vote for us to make sure there's no SNP and nationalist majority. So that'll be one of the seats that makes the difference. So, I mean, last time round, Lib Dems returned five MSPs. What constitutes a success? Is it merely treading water or, you know, is the lowest bar for success gaining? The advantage of being leader for 10 years is that you never answer that kind of question. <laughs> <laughs> you just learn to not answer that question. But I know we're going to grow. How far we're going to grow, I don't know. Our campaign is configured to reach out to people who perhaps voted SNP before. Mm. We're trying to create a progressive alternative and uh, with a view of making sure that we win people back from the SNP and obviously back from the independence supporting movement as well. Um, unlike the Conservatives, who are not interested in that at all, um, we are genuinely trying to get a, a proper quantum shift in the Nationalists and the pro-UK side. Um, so with that in mind, there's huge potential. Um, and that's why I'm optimistic, particularly because it will be our seats that make the difference between the Nationalists winning majority and not. I think there's a real traction now and a real appeal. People know who I am, they know what I've done. Um, and I think that, together with the positive platform that we've got, and it is incredibly positive, um, you know, we've, we've spent the whole first week talking about education, second week talking about mental health, third week environment and jobs. We've been really focused on hunting out positive ideas um, with a really good programme. So I, I think we've got great potential in this campaign. How many we gain, I don't um, but I just know we're going to grow. It's it's not just these um, soft nationalist voters, uh, as you've described them, Willie, is it, that you're targeting? Because a lot of your uh, press releases in the last week or so seem to be named at people who voted for Ruth Davidson in the past yeah. and trying to win yeah. them over. I mean, is there, is there a danger that you and Anas Sarwar are, are basically fighting for the same voters and neither of you will make any headway as a result? No, I think there's an advantage in... I mean, there is, there's no doubt there's a similarity in our message. We've got different policies, we're different people, and we appeal to different people in different parts of the country. So, you know, there's no massive crossover in, in those terms. I think we are, we are giving people options in different parts of the country to vote for something that's not conservative and not SNP. 
um, the kind of progressive alternative. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I would always urge people to vote Liberal Democrat because we think they're the best option. Um, but so, no, I'm not in the slightest bit worried about that. And I think that's been shown in debates where, you know, Anis and I have had genuine discussions about serious issues. And I think that's what people want in the country. They don't want all this bitter division that's kind of bedeviled the country for the last 10 years. Um, they want to try something fresh and different. And that's what we are offering. So I feel confident and comfortable in the kind of similarity of the the kind of the some bits of the message between myself and Anis. Um, and I think that shows a maturity um, from from us and from them about this. We don't always have to play up the differences, which there are differences, but we don't always have to spend our time doing that. We can talk about people don't have to choose the extremes for fear of the other. Um, you know, they can choose the Liberal Democrats um, if that's what they would prefer to do. Um, but there's a lot, a lot of people in Scottish politics or, or in, you know, in the public who think, I need to vote for the SNP to stop the Tories or I need to vote for the Tories to stop the SNP. Well, let's vote for what you believe in um, and you know, the policies that you believe in and the change that you want rather than fear. Let's go for hope. When it comes to to that, you know, building on from that, maybe one of the the independence movement's hard to get away from in all of this. E- even in this election, you know, th- th- there's been a, an attempt from Anas and to an extent yourself to move it away from an independence and towards recovery. But it's pretty clear that the independence debate is driving this election as much as it has any other. Is there a risk that you guys, like Labour, not having a extreme position on the constitution hurts you in in an election like this. I don't have an extreme position. Um, I have a clear position, though, mm. which is that I don't want another independence referendum. I don't favour independence. I don't want it. I think it divides. Uh, just be a repeat of Brexit. We don't want to do that. Um, so I've been very clear about that. But I don't want to spend the next five years arguing about all that. I think Douglas does. I think that's genuinely what he wants to do because that's what drives support for him, what he thinks drives support for him. I think we should be focusing on, on the recovery because I think that's what the country is desperate for. So, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you know, it was quite interesting that during the pandemic, the relationship between myself and I know other politicians and SNP ministers was the best it's ever. And it's because we put aside that division about the constitution and just try to get the country through the pandemic. I think more of that would be good in Scottish politics. So that's what we're after, you know, is a, just a change in the way that we work so that we can start focusing on jobs and mental health services and, and the education system with kids losing out so much in the last year, and tackling the climate emergency, you know, one of the biggest challenges we've ever got. All of that in itself would be more than enough for any one government to cope with and any one parliament to cope with. But So I'm just puzzled as to why the SNP and Tories would want to carry on that argument for another five years. I understand, you know, the independence debate is, you know, a big part in this campaign, but it doesn't have to be for the next five years. It's interesting to hear that how good the relationships were. Did that break down towards the end of, of the session when, when the Salmon Inquiry kind of took on took on the importance that it did? It did a bit, yeah. It did a bit. Things got a bit frostier. 
And when independence was put back on the table, it got more difficult. Mm. You know, but we were still able to do, you know, reach an agreement on the budget. You know, that was still possible. That was quite close to the end. Um, you know, we, we abstained on the motion of no confidence, you know, because we thought it was the right thing to do. Labour had the same view as well. Um, and so, you know, there was still the ability to work um, together on things. I was still texting Gene Freeman quite close to the, um, you know, to the when Parliament rose for the election. So there's, um, yeah, so the relationship was a bit frostier, but we were still able to fix things. Um, you know, things like, you know, the, the kind of people who were due to get the vaccine, the unpaid carers. You know, that, being an unpaid carer is not on your medical record. So how do you identify them? That, that kind of practical work that makes a difference to people. That's what we were able to focus on. And it's, uh, it was refreshing. So a bit more of that would be good. Did it hurt the kind of response to the second wave that, that those relationships slightly broke down? I mean, we were a bit more challenging at that point um, because we were frustrated that they wouldn't listen on testing in particular, mm-hmm. spot checks at the airport. They refused to have the the inquiry that we wanted last summer. But still, we were able to, you know, even though we had those differences, it was a respectful debate. Um, and it, that, so, but yeah, it was a bit more testing at that point. Um, but, you know, we were, testing them earlier as well because I tested um, the First Minister about why she wasn't testing residents before they went into care homes. That was last April um, and there was virtual First Minister's question session. So we were able to find the balance between you know, a challenging opposition that's what we're supposed to do but a kind of a constructive approach on so many fronts. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we got the balance about right through the pandemic and it just shows what can be done in Scottish politics if we just put aside Lord Voldemort, stick it out of the way. Willie, can I um, take you back to something you said there about, about bitterness? And obviously, like you're going up to uh, Keith Ness, you mentioned Charles Kennedy there. You and your party have produced what you're calling the Kennedy commitment that you want the other parties to sign up to. And I believe Labour and the Tories have already um, said that they will do that. I mean, how concerned are you about the, the, the kind of heat uh, that's around politics. I mean, your HQ had a, a brick lobbed through the window, didn't it, just the other week? And, and what was really encouraging on the back of that brick coming through the window was that, you know, the, the other parties sent good messages, um, you know, and they, were, they understood the anxiety that would have caused the staff. So that was, that was a positive thing. Um, it just often slips. Sometimes the language just gets a bit, heated at the top and that feeds down elsewhere um, but there's no doubt that you know certainly since the independence referendum the language has been better and I think the rest of the UK got a flavour of that with the whole Brexit thing which is another binary choice where it was quite bitter and toxic and I think if we so yes I am concerned um, and I think it's just you know, Charles Kennedy's family speaking out at this point is a good thing because it's just constantly reminding people about how good political debate can be um, and what we need to hold on to. It's okay to be passionate about your politics, but when it all starts getting very personal, that's when it all goes wrong. I mean, I've not looked at my Twitter notifications for, I think, years now because I just, I'm not going to do that. 
um, and because uh, the abuse is just relentless. And I don't get as much as a lot of the female politicians get. They get more, and it's much more personal. Um, but I still don't read mine because I'm just not putting up with that. Which means there's a danger you just get disconnected from people. Um, so I'm always conscious of making sure I get out and speak and to people to find out what real people are talking about. But yeah, no, it's a very, it's a big concern of mine about the nature of the debate, which is why I always try to conduct it in a, a respectful manner whenever I'm doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're you're out campaigning, out and about, unlike us who are more or less stuck in our in our homes as we have been for the last year. I wonder how concerned you are about um, turnout at this election. Obviously, um, the number of people who've applied for postal votes is up, not quite as up as much as uh, some people had predicted. But are you getting any um, feeling for whether or not people are actually going to turn out on May the 6th? I, I think, and I'm trying to give you a standard answer to this, um, to, uh, uh, this is genuinely the case. The support for, for us seems solid and motivated. Um, that's not always been the case, but it's solid and motivated this time. And it may be that the softness of the SNP vote that I was talking about earlier on may result in a lower turnout um, for for them. But I think our vote's pretty solid. So I don't know what that does to the overall turnout, um, but I think, the, I think the SNP have got an issue with mobilising their vote. I'm not quite sure how they're going to, how they're going to tackle that. Because they're not, I, I think by and large, they're not knocking on doors. I think they're just delivering leaflets. So it's going to be difficult to eyeball people and get them to, to vote. So yeah, so turnout may be an issue, particularly for them. How, how much is Nicola Sturgeon's handling of the pandemic driving how people view both the SNP and you know your party and other opposition? There's no doubt there's a kind of a, with some people, a grudging respect. The fact that she was able to stand up every day and deliver those press conferences, I mean, that's there. Um, I think the caution, I think, you know, we, we were appreciative of that as well. We were of the same view. Um, I think there's a, people are kind of a bit anxious about some of the decisions that were made about care homes and stuff like that. But actually, what spoils it for even people who have got a bit of respect for her is the fact that she's pushed the independence thing. That, that's kind of spoiled it for her. And I'm not quite sure how she addresses that. Because there's no doubt that she had quite a lot of admiration for standing up every day and delivering those messages. Um, so, but as you would expect, all of these things, people respond in a different way depending on who they are and what their life experiences are. But it's, there's no doubt there's a, an overall respect, even if people aren't going to vote for her, because she's pushing hard the independence thing. I guess in, in response to uh, your point there about the independence, which a lot of what the SNP have been trying to do is almost buy off their most um, fervent independence fans who have also got this voice in Alba. How concerned are you about Alba doing what they've set out to do and nicking the odd regionalist vote that might otherwise have gone gone to your party? I don't think there's much of a crossover between our vote and theirs, so I don't think that's the issue. Mm. Um, I think for the Alba 
party, to some extent the Greens, rep- represent now, is Nicola losing control of the, the nationalist movement. She was always able to turn, or put the foot on the gas or take it off, depending on how she felt the public mood was on independence. Now she's, her hands are tied, the, you know, there's a lot of backseat drivers um, who are going to be shouting instructions. Um, on the direction of the, the journey over the next five years. So it's a bit of a window into what life could be like if people choose any of the nationalist parties. Um, and that's why we're urging them to, you know, to pull back and you know, choose something different. Uh, I suspect, as I say, though, that we're, uh, um, the, the ALBA party supporters are not on our target list group. Um, they're, they're not likely to switch over to us, but... Um, I think what they do represent is a kind of a, a division in the nationalist movement that we've not really seen before. Yeah, I find um, it quite interesting, given the, the way the polls, or at least some of the polls are looking for the SNP, um, that they've gone from a majority to a slim majority to now maybe not even you know getting that and being a minority government again. And the messaging, their messaging around independence is shifting slightly, I think. And yesterday you had Nicola Sturgeon on Andrew Marr's show being questioned quite strongly about, um, you know, how an independent Scotland would work with borders and, and so on. And, you know, she did come out and say, well, this is not a choice about independence, this election, which I thought was fascinating, you know, that she would say that when, given that that's their, their raison d'etre as a party, it was... Uh, Really, quite interesting, and I wonder if the polls are affecting that. I think that I think that's is an indication that they're picking up those that kind of um, mood music from people of just anxiety. I mean, honestly, it's the first time I've seen for ages people who were solid SNP for years saying not this time. It's quite rare, you know. In previous years, they might not just bother to turn out. Maybe not that enthused. But this year, actually moving away from the SNP because of this. And I, so therefore, I think that's maybe why Nicola said that yesterday. It's quite astonishing. And we will store these quotes um, you know, for later because they they're very good at rewriting history after the election. Um, and so therefore, I think there's a real, there's a real, I wouldn't say it's a panic, but there's, I think, a concern in the nationalist movement about the direction of travel, because when these momentums build up, it's really difficult to stop. So yeah, no, I think that's a thing, definitely a thing. Yeah. Well, enough of uh, the SNP and uh, nationalism. Let's talk about the Liberal Democrats' policies and give us your top five uh, policies from the manifesto, really, that should convince people to vote Lib Dem. So cutting mental health rates by creating mental health first aiders in every single workplace by having um, deploying all the underutilised uh, mental health counsellors in the community to help with the community kind of mental health issues and then increasing the number of psychologists and psychiatrists so we get specialists in dealing with a massive mountain of weights uh, on mental health for specialist treatment. So it's mental health education. We want uh, bounce back support which means um, recruiting thousands of extra permanent teachers because there's been a massive growth in the temporary workforce amongst teaching. Um, we want to make the pupil equity fund permanent and enhance it as well. 
Um, we want to expand nursing education down to two-year-olds. Um, we've been strong advocates for that for a while. Um, all of two-year-olds, because just some get it just now. Um, on jobs, we want to um, have a youth job guarantee, uh, £5,000 retraining and reskilling grants. We want to employ a lot of people working on the revolution in heating in our homes. Um, my million heat, um, air source heat pumps that I want to put in place. Um, all those kind of things, that'll create the job. So there's probably more than five. Um, but that's that's our big policy that we want to have. But it's all centred around the theme of putting recovery first. Um, and those are the big things that we want to try and achieve. And what, what's, your, what's your party's solution to the constitutional issues? Would you want to see more powers to Holyrood? Because um, obviously you're anti-independence. What, what's the solution there? Um, federalism. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we were at the centre of creating the Scottish Parliament, getting more powers through Calman and then Smith. Um, we were big uh, advocates of all of that. Um, and now we want to move a stage further. It's more about working about the arrangements across the UK to give the Scottish Parliament more authority on areas of common interest. So we want to create a council of UK ministers of the different nations and regions of the UK to discuss, and it'll be binding discussions, um, just like the European Union arrangements where they've got binding uh, discussions and agreements. And that would replace the joint ministerial uh, committees, which are just consultative. Um, So that's what we want to do. We want to make sure we get a democratic House of Lords um, voting reform. Um, We want to you'll see further changes to the regional uh, governments in England, building on you know models like the mayor in Manchester. Um, so all of those things we want to see changes to. Um, you know, of course, there'll be some individual powers that you could see over time uh, returning to the Scottish Parliament. But the overall, the main change we need to make now is the power for the nations and regions to exert their authority rather than being overruled by Westminster, that often is the case. You know, you take the UK frameworks and the EU withdrawal bill and all that stuff, um, that I think showed up a number of weaknesses in the UK setup. So it's about federalism. And how, how much has is, is your vote at the minute um, still hurting from the coalition years um, and also maybe from Brexit as well? I genuinely think we've moved on. Um, I mean, it was, it's been 10 years plus since all that started. So I, I think people who have seen what I'm like, um, what I'm able to do, how I stick to my word, how I've got a strong reputation on things like mental health and centralisation of the police and education, you know, on Brexit, you know, being very clear on independence, all of those things. People know me and they know I stick to what I say. Um, and that they, you know, they can come with me with a certain degree of trust. So I think there's the relationship has been mended in, in that way, and that's why we're seeing a, an increase in our vote over the last uh, few years. You know, winning seats at Westminster when we'd almost been wiped out before, getting up to four seats. Um, Scottish Parliament in 2016, you know, winning constituencies that we'd lost to the SNP just the year before. You know, good councillors across the country. You know, so we're, and then the European elections, which were a great success. Um, so, you know, so there's been lots of examples of growth, which I think is an indication that 
you know, those things are, are healing. I take all that stuff very seriously and, and I think uh, we're in a better position uh, because of it. Do you think with hindsight, Willie, going into coalition with the Conservatives and David Cameron um, was the wrong thing for your party to do? Or was was that the right thing, but the wrong thing was to allow your uh, policy on tuition fees to be overturned? Yeah, I don't know how many times I've been over this. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I just prefer to look. I mean, I've analysed it to death for, for years. and So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm just looking forward now. I... Um, those are those issues are all for the historians uh, to look at at some point. And but I think you know what we've done since to rebuild our relationship with people. I think has been solid, and I think you know people uh, understand what we're trying to do and what I'm about. And I think that's why we're continuing to grow as a party. Uh, and I think you know people realise that we're you know that we are actually a party that listens and understands. I was going to ask um, Willie. I think we asked. Anas and Douglas, this as well. During the Salmon Inquiry and post it as well, there's been a lot of calls for fundamental reform to how Holyrood works in terms of committee structure and, you know, the powers of Holyrood to overrule the, the government. What would you want to see change in the next five years to make Holyrood work better for the public and for the MSPs who are in it every day? I would like to see a kind of a, a kind of recalibration of the relationship between government and the parliament. And I think that's why, you know, we need to have a kind of look again at the kind of ministerial code, looking at, um, you know, being able to give the parliament more powers to reprimand government in uh, in certain areas, um, looking at the you know, the right to, I'm trying to remember how we described it, but basically it's the right to criticise, that's what it is, you know, for charities and so on, because often they feel cowed from speaking out. Um, and I think all of that would just help to, um, help to just build that relationship between the two again. I think too often the SNP government have just ignored votes in Parliament, and that's not, that's not been helpful. So we need all that reform to to come into place now um, to try and help rebuild that relationship because um, it's clearly not what we need recall. I mean, the fact that we've had several MSPs that despite being disgraced have been able to hold on to their jobs. You know, when at Westminster that's been dealt with, you know, with the right to recall with at least one successful one in Wales of an MP who was removed because of that. I think we need that power in Scotland. The excuses for not doing that should have gone by now. Um, so, yeah, so we need all of that um, recalibrated to make sure we can try and live up to the ideals that the founders of the Scottish Parliament had in mind when they, when they created the Parliament. Fantastic. Well, I think uh, that's all the questions we have for you, Willie. I mean, sounds like you've arrived in the Highlands. What's the weather like? It, it's still wet. But I'll, re- I'll report in when the sun comes out, which I am sure will be over the centre of the Highlands, in particular Cape Ness. I think it'll be definitely sunny side up there. Fantastic. But I've enjoyed that. Thank, thanks very much for it. Thank you very much, Willie. Uh, good, good luck with the with the rest of the campaign and on polling day as well. The Steamy, a laudable podcast for the Scotsman.